Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 142 of Selling the Couch. So uh, this episode is a bittersweet because this will be the last episode of the podcast until 2018. As you guys know, I like to take a break from the week of Thanksgiving all the way through December just to focus on self-care and prioritize some of the other big projects that I have going on and just to, uh, yeah, take a little bit of a break. So when I do these final episodes, I always like to do something a little bit different. So in past episodes, for example, I have, you know, reached out to folks in the Selling the Couch community and on the Selling the Couch newsletter, and I've asked them, like, what's the best tip that you've ever received? And then they sent voice recordings over to me, and I put them all together and things like that. So that's actually episode 100, if you want to check that one out. But so I was trying to figure out what to do with this episode, and I just thought it would be a neat experience to create an episode where I just reflect on some of the things that I've learned along the way when it comes to private practice building. And more specifically, what I really want to reflect on is the conversations that I've had with successful private practitioners. And what I did with this episode is I just wanted to share five takeaways from my conversations with these private practitioners. Now, normally when I do a solo episode, I give myself an hour uh, just to think about the topic that I'm going to speak to you guys about, and I will then sit down and script and all of these different things. So I knew as soon as I created this episode that if I gave myself an hour, my mind was going to go all sorts of different places. So, and I would probably like overwhelm you guys with a bunch of information. So I actually just gave myself 30 minutes and I gave myself a single blank sheet of paper to just reflect on five things that I've learned from private practitioners. So uh, let's jump right in. So the number one thing that I've learned and just picked up is that successful private practitioners guard their time. That what they began to do is even very early on in their private practice journey, they began to create their ideal schedule. And, you know, for all of us, it could mean all sorts of different things. And it really depends on our life circumstances, right? So it maybe it means that you don't work weekends or you don't work evenings, or maybe it's the opposite, that you're a stay-at-home parent and you want to be with your child during the day. And so what you do is you build a practice where you see clients a couple of evenings a week or a half day on a Saturday or something like that. But regardless of what that is, they begin to create their 
ideal schedule instead of imagining that it will just happen. One of the things that I've learned with STC is that if you don't guard your time, somebody else will take that time usually, right? And so it's really tough, especially like I know that a lot of you guys are listening. You guys are just very like caring souls and it's hard to like put that boundary on time, but I think it's just something that's so important, not just toward practice success, but also just for our own self-care as well. Just related to that idea of guarding time, one of the things that I've also picked up on is successful practitioners realize that time is their most valuable asset. It's the thing that they cannot get back. And so in order, and especially as their practices grow, right? So your practice if you guys have heard these conversations, when you just have like one thing that you're doing, for example, like just seeing, for example, um, executives in solo, like in a one-on-one counseling session, right? But if you go from there to now doing workshops at Fortune 500 companies, for example, there's going to be an added level of complexity, right? So they realize that time is their most valuable asset and they delegate as needed to preserve time. So for example, they're really smart about trying to hire out, whether that's a bookkeeper to manage the business, the day-to-day business kind of things, whether it is a virtual assistant to manage social media or to help take phone calls for clients and things like that. And I think what they ultimately realized, and they haven't said it in these words, but this is sort of what I've gleaned, is that they say that they realize that saying yes to something, whether that is creating a new service or a product or a new networking opportunity or a workshop, whatever it is, it means saying no to something else, right? So both in saying no to something in business as well as in their own personal lives. The second thing that I took away is successful practitioners dream of what their ideal practice looks like, but they don't let this dream cripple them. I struggle with this a lot. If you guys have heard previous episodes of the podcast, I've just reflected on sort of my own struggles around my my fear and insecurities. And I know that a lot of our field struggles with this. I get just absolutely like gut-wrenching emails from colleagues. And I know that one of the biggest things is that folks are very creative and they have these big dreams. But when they get to that first step of what all of this is going to look like, they just get too scared just to launch a business. And so then they don't actually take action. I actually came up with a quote that I, it was actually funny. It was not funny, but like, a, probably, gosh, it's been like probably 10 months ago. I just like, there was a thread in the Selling the Couch community, um, which by the way, you can check out over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. But there was a thread in there, like all about, you know, creativity and perfectionism and just a good conversation. And I said something like, you know, I feel like perfectionism is the enemy of innovation. And a lot of folks resonated with that because I don't know where I came up with that. Uh, Actually, I came up with that in the moment. But since then, I've actually created a post-it note where I keep on like my wall. So I have a just side tangent. I have a wall of like inspirational quotes and lessons and stuff I've learned along the way. So I keep that on my wall. And it's just a reminder for me that dreams are wonderful. But the hardest thing is also wanting to make that dream just perfect and get basically wanting to create that dream that may be a reality like 15 years from now, wanting that to happen in, in modern day. 
Related to this idea of that they don't let dreams cripple them, successful practitioners remain flexible to new opportunities. So for example, they may have imagined starting their private practice and working with a certain niche, but as they go into private practice and some opportunities come up, they realize, oh my gosh, well, the niche that I was thinking about, maybe there's not as much of a need or maybe I'm not as passionate about it. And so they're always looking for new opportunities. And instead of seeing those as roadblocks, they actually kind of almost run with them. And then related to that, just this idea of, you know, successful practitioners dream of what their ideal practice looks like, but they don't let it cripple them. What they do is successful practitioners build it layer by layer. They know that a good foundation in the early stages of a practice is going to have great benefit way down the line. So for example, they may focus on some of the more boring parts of private practice, right? The stuff that we don't really care about, but it's really important, like, you know, getting the legal ducks in a row, thinking about whether to go, whether to create an LLC or any of those things, creating systems and processes. For example, you know, when a potential client sees my Psychology Today profile, what do they, and they click through to my website and they make that call, what happens, right? Are they, do they get an answering service? Do they get, do they, do they go to voicemail? What do I say on the voicemail? That kind of stuff. So they create a very efficient system and processes. And this is actually something that I have learned with STC is, you know, as any business gets more complicated, the reality is you like we by ourselves cannot manage it. And so one of the things that I try to do with STC is especially things that are kind of repetitive and that are more like administrative tasks. I try to actually write down step by step what I do so that I can then hand it off to someone else, like a virtual assistant, or for example, like um, if I, you know, like this is just an example I'm thinking of in the moment, but the show notes to all of these episodes, what I did is I actually created a a framework for what I want the episodes to look like. And then I, I gave that over to my podcast editor so that she knows that we create a consistent product over and over again. So number three is successful practitioners take an abundance mindset. So just, you know, since we're friends, I had no idea what an abundance mindset was until I started STC and actually really got into the private practice building space. But what I've learned over time is there's just so much wisdom to having sort of this coming from this heart of abundance, believing that things are going to work out, believing that, you know, that our ideal clients, that if we do the work, whether it's on our websites or whether it's connecting with the right referral sources, that those ideal clients will come to us. So the nature of private practice, right, is that there is a competitive element to it if you think about it, right? So for example, there might be clients that are reaching out to you, right? And they might be reaching out to multiple practices. And for most of us, and I struggle with this too, which is that we have this fear that overtakes us and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, I got to make sure I get that person, right? But what I've noticed is successful practitioners, they sort of shift their mindset and they realize that their success is contingent upon the success of others. So for example, they may refer out clients that are not actually ideal fits, knowing that by supporting a colleague and knowing that just, I think part of this is there's a faith element to this, knowing that 
serving someone else means there might be opportunities that might come up. And that's not the reason to do it. But just knowing that when you help others, sort of things will come back to you in a positive way. Number four is they use the success of others as inspiration instead of letting it stifle them. So this is a little bit different than number two, which is, you know, we see this a lot of times. I mean, I struggle with this as well, but you see this a lot of times in online communities of therapists, right? Where folks will share things that they're doing, right? And a lot of times that it will actually make each one of us, it'll trigger some sort of insecurity within us. Like, oh my gosh, how do they do that? You know, what are they doing with their marketing? Those kind of questions, right? So what I've noticed with successful practitioners is they use the success of others as inspiration, but they also understand that their life circumstances are very unique to them, right? So for example, not all of us are destined to create 10 person group private practices. Not all of us are destined to go and create courses and do workshops, right? The ultimate thing, what I've sort of realized is it really depends on what your life circumstances are, right? So for example, a single parent, right, may have very different needs than someone, for example, that has a partner that has a very stable income and all of the ins- their health insurance and everything goes through that partner, as just an example. So what successful practitioners do is they see the success of others, they get curious about what they're doing, how they're doing it, then they take this almost filter and they're like, you know what, does this really make sense for what I want to do? Does this make sense for where I am in my life, where I see the trajectory of my life, where I see the trajectory of my family, all of those different things. And they run it through that filter and then they kind of decide, you know what, how can I then implement this in a way that makes sense for me and my circumstances? And then the last point is they work on themselves, knowing in their heart that the up and down nature of private practice does not reflect their worth as a person. This one is tough for me. I actually, this last one, I honestly, I wrote it down and then I was going to scratch it out just because I was like, I don't know if I want to like talk about this. But you know, I think I've struggled with this. I continue to struggle with it. I feel like I get emails from our colleagues and I know how difficult private practice can be. I mean, the nature of being in a helping profession and is that, you know, there is an up and down nature to the practice, right? But like I've for a long time with STC and I still struggle with this in that when things are going well, I feel great about myself. When even, you know, with STC, when things are down, when it's a slow download month, when, you know, course sales weren't what I projected, or when things are not moving along on projects and the speed that I had hoped for, because, you know, unexpected life circumstances get in the way. Like, for example, (laughs) like two weeks ago, you know, we had to put the car in to, we had to take the car to the dealership and had to put it in for repairs. And that was completely unexpected. That took a couple of hours to get all that taken care of, get a rental car. And that was supposed to be a morning I was actually supposed to dedicate to working on the STC directory. And I remember in that moment just feeling like, man, I was like 
frustrated. And then I just noticed like something clicked in me where I was like, I started like beating myself up for it, you know, and I think this happens a lot in our field. And my hope is that one, I just, I want you to know it's normal. And two, like, I want you to know that how your business does is not a reflection of your worth even though it can feel that way. I think part of why we all feel that way is all of us start these businesses from a heart-centered place, right? And so when we put in so much blood, sweat, and tears and heart into creating something, it is very easy to feel that, to personalize how things are going. But what I've noticed is successful practitioners, not that they have always have it figured out, but they take a step back and they say, you know what? This is what it looks like objectively, and this is what I need to tweak, and this is what I need to keep the same. So I hope you enjoyed those tips. So again, the five tips are they guard their time. The second one is they dream of what their ideal practice looks like, but they don't let this dream cripple them. Number three is they take an abundance mindset. Number four is they use the success of others as inspiration instead of letting it stifle them. And number five is they work on themselves knowing in their heart that the up and down nature of private practice does not reflect their worth as a person. As we wrap up, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to listen. I knew that when I started selling the couch back in 2015, I imagined doing this for a long time. And it's a weird feeling to reflect. And, you know, two years later, I realized that, you know, something that just started out with an idea in the shower, you know, that it's uh, grown into a project that's taken two years and will continue to hopefully go on. So by the way, that's not like a veiled thing. I want the couch to continue to go on. So just wanted to say thank you. I think when this episode goes live, if I'm just looking at some of these download numbers, which I try not to look at them now, but you know, the podcast will pass over 400,000 downloads and is now being heard in 110 different countries. And I just wanted to say to each of you, thank you for taking the time to listen, for taking time out of your day. I know like all of our schedules are busy and I'm just so appreciative that you would take the time to listen. And my hope is that I can continue to serve you, to serve our field and to create great content that can help us on our private practice journeys. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful holiday season. I will be taking some much needed rest. I will also be doing some heavy work on the STC directory and the learning library. More specifically, I've got some interviews lined up, video interviews and things like that. I'll be uh, focusing on getting those done and kind of going from there. So show notes to today's episode can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number one for And if you haven't joined the Selling the Couch community, please come over and join us. There are, as I record this, there are over uh, 7,100 of our colleagues there. You can join over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash community. Then now as we wrap up, I mentioned this earlier, but I'm actually wrapping up and working and diligently on the Selling the Couch directory. If you guys have heard past episodes of the podcast, this has been a project that I've been working on for this entire year, doing a lot of interviews, a lot of feedback from colleagues. And it's the directory is basically based on a pearl of wisdom that I've heard from successful private practitioners. And that pearl of wisdom is the best way to build and grow a private practice is to just build solid and supportive relationships with colleagues. Unfortunately, there's not an easy way to do that. 
that existing directories are mainly to help the general public, and the STC directory is more focused on the clinician. So um, when it goes live, there's actually going to be three parts to it, to the directory, and I'll be adding some additional features down the line. But uh, the three parts are, so when you're in the directory, you'll create an individual profile that'll let other colleagues know things like your ideal clients, why you've got into private practice, It'll, you'll be able to provide links to specific services you offer. And then the directory itself, you will be able to filter based on a presenting concern. So for example, like if you work with a certain phobia, you would be able to filter based on that presenting concern. So this is helpful if you want to refer clients that may not be good fits. And also, if you work with a certain population, you'll be able to get clients from colleagues just based on the presenting concern that you work with. The second filter on the directory is the ability to filter by the niche of the population. So let's say you want to connect with other trauma therapists, or you want to connect with other folks who work with executives, you would be able to do that. And then the final final one is a section based on consultation. So you would actually be able to find people that consult on specific things related to the mental health field, whether that's legal ethical things, or for example, let's say you've got a really specific trauma case and you need some sort of consultation on that. So hope that you will be able to join us. Oh, the second part of the STC directory is the learning library. I feel the learning library is basically a series of videos from practitioners. Think of it like the podcast, but way deeper and questions I just didn't want to ask in a public forum like a podcast about conversations with practitioners about how they built their practices, as well as with other experts on how to do certain things in private practice. So for example converting that first phone call into a client, all the way to scaling your practice. So for example, interviews with folks who've built coaching services, who've launched courses, things like that. So you can find more information over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash directory. Sorry for being so long. I uh, wanted to make sure that I explained things and then uh, gave you guys enough information. Have a great holiday season and I'm so grateful for you. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.